0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
1: Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. What have we done right during the COVID-19 pandemic? What have we done wrong? How can we draw on past mistakes and successes to deal with what lies ahead? Dr. Tom Frieden has been thinking about these questions and more. Frieden is the former director of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and former commissioner of the New York City Health Department. Today, he's the president and CEO of Resolve to Save Lives. It's part of a global public health organization with the mission to save 100 million people from cardiovascular disease. Dr. Frieden, welcome to Reset.
0: Thanks for having me on the show.
1: So, first of all, I want to hear a little bit more about your organization and your goals around cardiovascular disease.
0: Resolve to Save Lives has the goal of partnering with countries around the world to prevent 100 million deaths from cardiovascular disease, and we think we can do that by focusing on three key areas, treatment of high blood pressure, elimination of artificial trans fat, and reduction of excess sodium uh, consumption. Those three things together, if we do them at scale, will prevent 100 million deaths over 30 years. Our second broad area is epidemic prevention, and that's obviously been even more directly relevant in this age of COVID.
1: Now, I'm curious, you've taken a forensic look at how we got here with this pandemic, and I'm wondering where you see missteps, but also steps correctly taken in the response.
0: I think the key is to look forward, because bad as it has been, this is just the beginning. The virus is with us until we have a vaccine, and that could be years away. It's going to change so much about what we do and how we live, and we need to act now to protect our frontline heroes in hospitals, but also to shore up our public health defenses what protects all of us through what we call the box, the box it in approach of testing, isolation, contact tracing and quarantine. If you get the four corners of that box right, you can keep the virus in so we can go out.
1: So break down some of those steps you just la- you just uh, laid out and where you think the US stands on creating this box.
0: First is testing and that's gotten a lot of attention Actually, just as we're speaking, we're posting information on preventepidemics.org that outlines who should be tested and what the science behind testing is. There's been this debate. We have enough tests. We don't have enough tests. Well, facts are stubborn things, and math is stubborn. We don't have nearly enough tests. So let's accept that, accept that we need to do everything possible to increase the number of tests and that we've got to make as good use of the tests we have right now. That means making sure that hospitalized patients get tested, making sure that anyone with symptoms in a nursing home or homeless shelter or correctional facility gets tested, getting our people who are in contact with patients who have the infection tested. That testing has to be rapid, strategic, and accurate, and that's specifically testing for the virus. Uh, When it comes to isolation, there's still far too much spread in our hospitals. We need to do much more to keep our hospitals safe, to make them safer. The CDC documented that 10,000 healthcare workers in the US were infected in just the first two months, and those are only recognized infections. That's totally unacceptable. And when it comes to isolation, we need to do much, much more in our nursing homes. Uh, Unless we take urgent action, there are going to be at least 100,000 deaths in our nursing homes in the next year. Nursing homes are ground zero for this, as I said seven weeks ago, and we're seeing that play out. In addition to isolation, there has to be contact tracing, and that's a skill. It's specialized. It means supporting patients and helping them to identify so we can warn contacts that they've been exposed and then help them to quarantine in in somewhere where if they get sick, they're not going to infect others for two weeks. This is a big expansion of public health services. And in this country, we've underinvested in public health for decades. So it's a big change, but it's crucial. It's one of the most important things that we can do so that we can come out as soon and safely as possible and stay out and not get forced back into our homes.
1: Dr. Frieden, you ran the CDC during the Ebola outbreak in 2014 that killed over 11,000 people. And we spoke to your colleague, Gail Smith, who ran USAID during that time. And here's what she said about what it took for the government to mobilize in that moment.
0: The advantage we have, and certainly had then, is that we've got agencies across the federal government filled with people who know a lot uh, about these crises and about how to respond. So we were able to rely on obviously CDC, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services on USAID and on a host of experts across the government who knew both how you undertake emergency operations but also how you do it when you're dealing with a lethal and highly contagious virus.
1: Dr. Frieden, what lessons are you taking away from the Ebola outbreak in 2014 that you think should be applied to what we're dealing with right now?
0: There are many lessons. One of them is the importance of an organized response at the national and state levels and in each country. That means that there's a clear line of command, there's a clear process for making decisions, and there's clear communication with the public. I'll feel safer when we're hearing from Uh, people like Dr. Schuchat and Dr. Messanier of the CDC regularly. These are our world's and our country's top experts in the public health control of respiratory viral disease. And they understand what's happening and can explain it to us better than anyone else. At the same time, there are other lessons from Ebola that are essential. One is the importance of time. Um, These epidemics move at lightning speed. They move at the speed of a virus. And we don't move that fast. The faster we move, the better we are at confronting them, to find them quickly when they're emerging, to trace contacts immediately, to isolate patients promptly. All of those steps are crucially important to limit the spread of the virus. What we found with Ebola was that if we got there in a day or two, we could stop it within a week or two. But if we waited even a week, it might spread for months or even years. And that's the difference between life and death for many people. It's also crucial to engage communities because when the community understands why actions are being taken, they're much more likely to participate in them. And it's important that there are um, trusted communicators explaining from a scientific fact-based approach what needs to get done. It's also really important to emphasize that it's not just about the disease that causes the epidemic. It's about health more generally. In West Africa, more people died because of Ebola than from Ebola because the health care system was shut. That's why it's so important that we restart our primary care systems, that we expand telemedicine. We address the needs of people with chronic illness so that we don't have avoidable deaths because of COVID in addition to those caused by COVID.
1: Uh, Dr. Frieden, novel coronavirus is dangerously degrading the number of healthcare professionals. A recent study from the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security uh, projected that at least 100,000 new employees would need to be hired nationwide to properly fill the need. Your own prediction is even more dire. What is your thinking around this?
0: The need for a core of individuals who do contact tracing is large. If we look at countries around the world, there are as many as one per thousand population. That would be hundreds of thousands or one per 5,000. Any way you look at it, we're going to need tens or hundreds of thousands of highly skilled, well-supervised supported people to identify patients, speak with them, identify contacts, get them isolated. And the sooner we begin doing that, the fewer we'll need. The more people participate and cooperate, the fewer we'll need and the safer we'll all be. This is one of the diseases that shows us that we're all connected. What happens to anyone, anywhere can affect all of us. That's why it's important that when someone has the infection, they are rapidly isolated so they stop spreading it and their contacts are warned that they could become uh, infected and pass it to others whether or not they feel sick so they need to quarantine this core of contact tracers is being built throughout the united states but it needs to be built quickly strategically with sensitivity contact tracing is hard work but it works it's about building a human bond with patients who have the illness helping them to get what they need, whether it's isolation or social services or medical care, helping them to remember and identify contact information, locating information for the people they may have exposed, and then going to those people to warn them that they've been exposed and they need to keep themselves and their families safe by separating themselves so if they do become infected they don't spread it to others. And one of the things that we've recognized in the past few weeks, as we've learned more about this virus, is there's a lot of people who don't feel sick, they're asymptomatic, but who have a lot of virus that they're shedding, and they well, may spread it to others.
1: Well, we've also seen that African Americans are bearing the brunt of this pandemic, making up the overwhelming majority of COVID-19 deaths. How would you like to see the response moving forward adjust to address that specific issue?
0: Unfortunately, epidemics are often guided missiles attacking those who are most disenfranchised, have most pre-existing health problems, have least access to health care, most risk of exposure. And we've got to look at each of those steps in the vulnerability chain and try to interrupt them. That means that people who are medically vulnerable to Older people, people with diabetes, people living in crowded conditions need to be sheltered to the greatest extent possible. That means we need to engage communities and community leaders to carry the messages so that they'll be understood. We need to make sure that essential workers are being protected. So there are people who are going to work keeping us all safe and supplied. They need to be protected. And we need to look at the underlying health conditions that make communities more susceptible and the lack of access to healthcare that make it more difficult for people to get the care we need. Improving things like the care of diabetes, the care of high blood pressure, good nutrition uh, is very important. One of the small things that may make a difference, unproven, but uh, can't hurt, probably can't hurt and may help, is take a multivitamin every day. The rate of Vitamin D deficiency in this country, particularly in darker skinned people, is quite high. As many as half of African-Americans have low vitamin D levels and vitamin D um, does contribute to our immune response. So if we have a normal level, we'll be safer. But it needs to be a comprehensive approach, of providing more services and more protection.
1: That's Dr. Tom Frieden, former director of the CDC, former commissioner of the New York City Health Department, and now president and CEO of Resolve to Save Lives, an initiative of Vital Strategies, a global public health organization. Dr. Frieden, thank you for speaking with us. And that's today's Reset. For the latest on the COVID-19 crisis around Chicago and the world, tune to 915 WBEZ or go to wbez.org. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR.